0: Everybody, to episode fifty-four of the Annie Graham Journey podcast with Suzanne Stabile. Today's episode is with Anagram Seven, Annie F. Downs. I like to call her the real Annie Downs. You may know her from some of her books, including Remember God or One Hundred Days to Brave. But hopefully, some of you in the future will say, "I know her from her conversation with Suzanne." Some things that came from the podcast that I really like. I know what tour de taste is. And one of her lines from the podcast is wherever I am, that is where I want to be nine times out of 10. And I really relate to that. Uh, Also, a major theme in their conversation is trust. Before we get to the podcast, quick shout out to everyone who is in St. Louis for the Path Between Us conference. Thank you all so much for your support of the podcast, Suzanne, and of all the work that we're trying to do here at LTM. Now, please, everyone, enjoy the show.
1: So, welcome to my podcast, The Enneagram Journey, and I sure hope that at some point we're sitting in the same room doing this. Thank you. Me too. I would really love it. I um, like to talk about things that have to do with your Enneagram number as much as talking about your number. Okay. And um, interestingly enough, I recently did a podcast with a female seven. I'm going to share with you a couple of things she said. Okay. to see if those things uh, kind of ring true with you, too. But first, I want to start by talking about your book, Remember God.
2: Oh, okay, that's kind of you.
1: How long has it been out?
2: It came out in October.
1: Yeah, and you're a prolific writer. Oh, my gosh, you're so kind. Like I said,
2: I mean, it's such an honor, Suzanne, to that You would even pick up one of my books, so that is,
0: that is really uh, well, kind.
1: Well, I, you know, it was true to my heart, this book. So um, as soon as you found the words to say that you were wondering if God is always kind, Mm. I, uh, how old are you?
2: 38.
1: Okay. At 38, I was asking if God is always faithful. Mm. And now I'm 68. Mm -hmm. And the is God is always faithful thing for me was connected to that I was messing stuff up. I I didn't think God was messing anything up. I thought, is God faithful when I mess things up? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to start with, where I'm going to end up at the end, I found out that it had a lot to do with my expectation. Yeah, I yeah. think
2: that's that's kind of where I landed too. In so many ways, is expectations can can be a murderer sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I'm going to quote some of the things you said at the end of the book at the end of our podcast. Okay. So, uh, now that everybody knows what circle I want to be in, um, talk to me about um, how sevenness is a good thing for you and how it's a challenge. Yeah. And for people who haven't read you, it's fairly obvious that you're a seven. So <laughs> Anthony, would you have guessed?: Yes, I yeah. would have I, yeah. I, and here here's where I started to guess, and that was Tour de taste buds. <laughs>
2: Right, but my, me and my assistant, every city we go to, we eat at a local restaurant and, and score it.
1: Right. Yep. And, you know, people who don't travel have no idea what we go through. It It's interesting because it looks kind of glamorous from the outside, and it looks like it's kind of fun and wonderful. But as you point out, um, if you're not mindful, you don't get to see any of the places you go. We're just right. inside hotel ballrooms, inside churches, inside university Spaces where we teach, and then we go to a hotel and go home.
2: That's it. I always say I see the inside of planes, cars, hotels, and, and buildings, if I'm not right. careful.
1: Right, right. Yep. So in in your finding your way to outside mm-hmm. when you go somewhere for work, what has that taught you about yourself?
2: Well, I like just to, a thing about being a seven. So to answer what I love about being a seven is that I can't imagine being anything else. I think we get to have the most fun. I think, I think in general, people like us, not everyone likes me, but the difference yeah. between people who don't like me, don't rage against me, they just ignore me like a bug. You know, yeah. and like, I'm a, like I'm a gnat or I'm a, yeah. you know. And so I don't have people that like yell back at me on Instagram very often compared to what some of my friends have with other numbers that are other numbers. Yes. So I love that. And so when we go travel, I love that I love where I am. Wherever I am, I mm-hmm. that is where I want to be nine times out of ten. And so, so it makes it really fun. I've learned that about myself. Once we started experiencing the cities and seeing the places we were going, I fell more in love with my job, the traveling part of my job. I fell more That's in love right. with it because I was like – what if I'm never back in Billings, Montana ever again? Right, right. I want to see everything I can see. And, and my assistant is a three, a female three. And so I, and so, as you know, you know better than me, sevens and threes make a pretty decent pair right. because sevens want to have fun and threes want to have the most of anything. And so okay. they want to have the most fun. And so when I say, hey, my goal is to eat at the best restaurant, she finds the best restaurant in that city. And so it's, it's a really fun combination for us. Um, but so that's what I love about it, and that's what I've learned about myself on the road has been, if I if I will experience the city, like that the fun, the most fun part of this job is experiencing the city. I I love my job. It's when I'm longing to be home, and when or when I'm heartbroken or missing someone that it makes the road a lot harder. But I think that's true for anybody.
1: So um uh, I essentially travel with you and your assistant cuz my assistants are 3 and yep. Joel and Laura and I travel together. Yes. So I'm this um elder two mm-hmm. with a young 3 and a young 7 and they have shown things to me that I would have missed longing to be home. Oh,
2: interesting.
1: I don't think I could have just gone out and seen them. It's like, let's go do this. And I, and I kind of want to keep up with them, you know. It makes me feel like I've still got it somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I say, <laughs> you let's do. do.
2: You've got it, girl. Don't <laughs> well, about that.
1: Thanks. So I say, well, then, let's do. At one point in, your, in here, you say, um, and I'd like for us to talk about this for a few minutes. You talk about travel and you say that um, there came a time when you started to feel like you were kind of keeping secrets, like you were a secret keeper. And then you explain that by saying that actually you were just careful who gets to know your business and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. So I want to set the table for our discussion by telling you that the same is true for me exactly. But I think we're going to find that the reasons for that are very different. And so I'm going to go first, and then I'm just going to listen to you and ask you some questions for a I'd while. I'd love to hear. So the reason that I decided that I needed to play my cards a little closer to the chest was because I couldn't control people's response. So what, what makes me nervous about writing and what makes me nervous about podcasts is that when, as a two, when I'm in the room with people, if I start to lose somebody, I know it, and I go get them. Or if if I'm talking about something that's making everybody squirm too much, then I talk about something else. Right. Right? You can feel it in the room. Yes. And so the idea that all of these people suddenly knew my business or my feelings or what I was for and what I was against or my struggles with God as well as my peace with God, I thought I'm only okay with you knowing that if I'm in the room and I get to answer your questions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is the reason for you that you felt like you needed to kind of keep some secrets? Except not. It's it's a difference, isn't it, actually, in secret keeping and privacy?
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. And that's
2: it, it was not that any of my sins are secret at this point in my life or that Um, it, it wasn't that. It wasn't that I was hiding things. It's that... I started to feel like my vulnerability in my work was making it so that people were taking pieces of me. Mm-hmm. And, and so then I, I couldn't give, I had nothing left to give in real life because everyone in, my, in work was taking from me. And so, and at seven, you know, our central question is who's going to take care of me? Right. Because we feel like no one takes care. We, there was a point at some point in all of our lives, a seven, where we had to, where we heard the story that we'd been abandoned and to some right. degree to take care of ourselves. Right. And, and so the problem for me became, wait, I, all these people are taking from me. I already feel depleted in the department of who takes care of me. And so now when I'm sitting across from you at coffee or when I'm, eating a meal with you, I'm not telling you anything because I've got nothing left to give. I, I, and, and this isn't fun. I feel empty all the time. And so this isn't fun. And I'm not interested in, in having one more person have one more piece of me that I did not intend to give.
1: Right. Right. Do you think that has anything to do with the move to five insecurity?
2: Maybe. I mean, I wish I, I'd like to think that that those were my healthier moments. Yeah. And I'll tell you that one of the things that my counselor and I have worked hard on this exact um, topic or this exact issue, and it lives in me. Yeah. Um, how do you learn to keep your privacy private, yeah. like keep your yeah. private life private, be vulnerable publicly, mm-hmm. and be vulnerable privately? Those are three distinct things, in and in an unhealthy Annie, whether this is Sevenness or Annie tells everybody everything and regrets all of it yep. regrets, writing it regrets, telling people can lie awake. I, I there are there nights that I would lie awake and think, why did I ever say that to that person? Why did I ever say that to that person? A, a healthy Annie goes, okay, there are a handful of people that I can trust with everything. There's a lot of people that I can trust with things, And there are some people I can't trust with anything. There you and can. And a, and a healthy seven goes four to five, as you said. And so I, my, um, I can be in my cave a little bit, and I can yeah. be slow to determine when someone is trustworthy. And uh, because also historically, I don't know if this is seven or not, Suzanne. You can diagnose this about me, but historically, I am. I will trust you over and over again, mm-hmm. and I will jump in over and over again. And people, and my friends would say, "Why are you even talking to that guy again?" Or why would you even tell her one of your secrets when you know she told people? Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I would always just jump back in and, and age and maturity and pain and health mm-hmm. have all combined to make yeah. me go like, okay, we don't tell everybody everything. And we give people multiple chances. But at a, there's a point where, where wisdom says that person is – because they are unhealthy, they are unsafe. Not because of what they've done to you, but because – they have displayed that they are not healthy, they are unsafe for your story, so don't tell them.
1: Yeah, you know, one of the things that I finally learned to say to myself is Has this person earned the right to hear this part of my life? Yes, yes. H- has this person honored the gift of hearing this part of my life? And do I really want to tell this person this part of my life? Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, what I hear from you is what I would call seven fear that people don't pick up on at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in the fear triad, so you've got fear with the best of them, just like fives and sixes, but people don't ever pick up on fear in sevens. No. And it's there. It's yeah. it's always there, always kind of lurking and waiting for a place to land. And it's interesting to me because it sounds like you're a mature enough seven that you know when people are um i i think sevens are like the pied piper mm. and yeah. i think you know when people should peel off and they don't yeah when they ought to right yeah it's it's like it gets to be too big so
2: yeah I, that's exactly right today i've never thought of it like that but that was exactly right
1: yeah it's like follow me cuz i'm going a good place and i want you to come yeah but then after after we're done you need to kind of peel off when we pass your house and go home.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to be like, you broke up with me. Why are you still here? Yeah, like, exactly. Why, why do you still want, I don't understand, or we aren't getting along, or you've moved to a different thing. Like, I, I'm not what trying to take you with me anymore. Right. But if you're here, okay. And then I'm the one who looks stupid because well, people are like, why do you still respond to that guy? Or why do you still respond to that girl, that friend of yours who was unkind or whatever? And I'm like, well, they're, they're still here.
1: Well, and I think people want to be with sevens, period. Mm-hmm. I th- I think they want to be in control of the relationship with sevens, but I think they kind of want to hang in there with sevens. It's like, well, we, our relationship isn't like that anymore, but it could be like this.
2: Yeah, but they don't communicate that. They just no. stick it
1: back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's why you feel like people are taking yeah. Taking to Also,
2: it's it's this interesting thing, which I think must be true of personality type of any type, but particularly maybe Enneagram sevens is, is my blessing is my curse and my curse is my blessing. I sure. love that I can tell people something is cool and they will buy in. Yeah. I love that I can, I love the Pied Piperness because I get to point people to Jesus, Yeah, right? Like I love the Pied Piperness because I'll tell them about a sweatshirt and I'll tell them about a soccer team and I'll tell them about... A, a God who really rescues, and right. they believe me on all fronts. Sure, But so, and But then it also becomes a thing where it, it, they don't peel off. Yeah. In uh, real they life. need to peel
1: off it. When you pass their house, they need to go home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So here's what the what it looks like for a two. You know, one of the ways I love talking talk about the Enneagram is how we're different from one another. Yeah. And you and I could look alike uh, in terms of personality. We're both very um, we're more than extroverts, whatever that is, we're both that. Mm-hmm. So my thing was, and it's interesting that you tied it to your lost childhood message because I am going to two right now. And the, the lost message for twos, according to Rizzo and Hudson, is you are wanted. And so I'm, I'm always wanting people to want me. Mm-hmm. And now they do. And I don't know what to do with that it's like I wanted to be wanted for so long and now I have to find my way through being wanted yeah. and I think there's a wisdom in us recognizing that there are two sides to our gifts and there are nine ways that people respond to our gifts Yeah. and I don't think we're prepared for the response Mm-mm. Mm-mm. you're and right so, well, I mean,
2: I've only dated, I, I dated one man in the last couple of years who was Um, I mean, he served me like crazy and I didn't know what to do with it Right? because I want to be taken care of all the time. And then someone was doing it and I didn't, I didn't know how to respond because here was this thing that has always been my question that was being answered. And what do you do when the question gets answered? You don't have a question anymore.
1: Well, and I don't, I don't know if this is true for seven. So you'll have to tell me what happens for twos is when twos get close to getting what they want, they get afraid because they're afraid it's not going to work out. Does that happen for you too? Oh, yeah. or is it different yeah. for you?
2: I run from. I mean, I run from it in friendship and dating yeah. at times, and work. I, I will when I see it getting close. I have to actively now because I have done a lot of counseling sure. and have gone to on site and done my work, and I'm trusting the process. I, you know, I'm learning better. Like, oh, you're running. Don't run. But you know, that's what sevens do anyway. Is we run from pain. But right. also, I can. I at this point, I go like, Annie, don't run. Don't run. This is not scary. This is not dangerous. You're not in you're not in you're not unsafe. This is good. Stay right here. There you (laughs) go. I have to say that to myself a lot.
1: (laughs) So with my podcast, I'm trying every time I do a, a podcast with a number to ask a different question. Okay. So this question I haven't asked before.
2: You've never asked, and never so. Luke Norsworthy has never answered that for you.
1: No, he has not. Okay. Luke Norsworthy doesn't always answer the question you ask, anyway. (laughs) Well, then that's (laughs) true. Sometimes, but not always. I love that guy. I think what happens for lots of folks is that they read relationships with more clarity than sevens. Because sevens tend to spend their time in the happy half of everything.
2: Yeah.
1: And so as a two, my struggle in relationships is I kind of tell everything because if you're going to leave, I'd like for you to go ahead and leave now. Mm. Right? So I used to introduce myself by saying, hi, my name's Suzanne, I'm adopted I was sexually abused as a teenager. I'm divorced. I'm married to a former priest. You know, here's all the stuff. And whatever category you line up in, if you're going to leave, I'd like for you to go ahead and leave now. Right. Right. So my question for you as a seven, is it true that you don't think they're leaving because of how quickly you reframe things? So it doesn't occur to you that people are going to leave. Is that correct?
2: A hundred percent where you say, I'm going to go ahead and tell you everything because I think you're going to leave. I say, I'm going to go ahead and tell you everything because you're not going to leave. And then I am shocked. And when they do, I'm just shocked when they do because I've, I've, it's this, it's the futurist in me as a seven as well. But, but it is that I can reframe everything that like, well, well, this is a bump in the road, but it'll work or what he really meant was, or, but, and I don't think it's self-deception. I think it's helpful in so many areas, but I genuinely, it's not that every time I, especially romantically, it's not that every time I go on a first date, I think it's my husband. It's that every time I go on a first date, I think, why couldn't it be?
1: You know, sure. This is so thoughts. good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is great. Yeah.
2: What yeah. if this is right? You know? Right. So I just go, well, let's, let's jump in and see what happens. Assuming yeah. it will work. Yeah. And then when it doesn't work, when I decide it doesn't work or when he decided it doesn't mm-hmm. work, it is, I am, I'm blindsided by my own feelings or by his feelings every time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Okay. You know, I know. I, I, I think I, I got you down a little bit. You so let me tell are. you. <laughs> let me tell you about Joel and Leanne and I and the conversation we had. We were all three on the podcast. And um, Leanne said to Joel, when your family's talking about um, she's 40, by the way, and is on the uh, staff of, uh, at Baylor University for Baylor Spiritual Life. And um, she said to Joel, like when your family talks about what happened last Christmas or what happened last Thanksgiving or at your uncle's birthday party the other night, do you remember the things they're talking about? And he said, very often, no, it, I don't remember anything happening the way that they're talking about it happening. And she said, me either. She said, when my family talks about when we were together last time and what happened and who said what and who went where and did what, I don't remember any of it. And she said, I think it's because I reframe everything so quickly that it distorts the memory of what's happening when I'm engaged with these people. Is that true for you? I think
2: so. And, in fact, one of the harder um things for me emotionally is the idea of did I deceive myself into believing this was something that it wasn't or in my family unit in our nuclear family did I misunderstand this or did I have that different of an experience of this one moment than everybody else did and I'm in in my family unit I I am the only one with a public life I'm the only one that writes kind of like this I'm I'm most of them are very analytical and I'm just not, I'm very creative minded. And so I already am really different. Um, But then there are times where I'll have memories and we'll, I'll talk about the same thing and I'll be like, and and, and I almost, I almost shame myself of like, look how deceptive you are to to yourself Mm -hmm. and how you, how you change memories. And it's like, no, 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 I have to say, no, 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 you reframe things. That doesn't mean, and you saw a different point of view and you had a different experience, you know? But yes, I, yes, yeah, I have different memories because I'm so quick to go like, and it's not even like reframing it like Pollyanna. It's not like I turn everything good. I just see different moments than other people see, which I think is what makes me good at writing books is I just see moments differently than a lot of other people see the exact same moment.
1: So I, I think part of what happens with reframing is that it's so intuitive, Mm-hmm. to think the best of somebody or to just dismiss something that hurt your feelings that you don't have time to deal with anyway so I won't be hurt. You know, that all that stuff that you do because you're in the head triad. Yeah. So you get to, you know, none of that works for me because I live in the heart triad. But yeah. I I think um, it has to do with speed. So since Leanne and Joel talked about it, I've been thinking about it a lot. Yeah. And yeah, I teach think me it's
2: about this because I would love to understand reframing better.
1: Well, I think you think so fast that things that don't interest you don't get in. Yeah. And I don't think you're interested in sad, heavy, serious things that don't seem to have an end. You know, it's yeah. like if, if people could make five statements about a sad thing, then you could hang in there. But w- once it crosses 20... Yeah, you like, just think too fast that? for that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm going to suggest that to all of the aggressive numbers I encounter, that they slow down for conversations meaning, that they slow down to experience what people are saying and not just hear what people are saying. Okay.
2: So what does that look like? How do I do that?
1: Well, it might involve some tell me more about that you know, when it kind of goes by and you're not inclined to grab it, but it looks like it's important to them, then you might say, well, tell me a little more about that. Okay. Or that, that didn't really make sense to me, or that's not how I would do that. And, and I don't think you ought to get lost in it, because you won't be good at that, right? Yeah, but,
2: <laughs> yeah I don't want to <laughs> show my cards at how poorly I would handle that eight <laughs> times over with the same nuclear family who's dealt with me for 38 years.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and I think... Um, one of the things I've learned about being with the aggressive folk in my family is that I've learned to be brief when I want them to really hear what I'm saying. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. I do I'm, I'm going to try that. I'm very interested in, in doing that well.
1: I just
0: so, think it's
2: I mean, down. the reason we dig into all this, right, is, is not just because we want to know ourselves, it's because we want to be better for our people.
1: Absolutely. You know?
2: I don't go to counseling because I need to be a great Annie when I'm by myself. I need to be no. a great Annie when I'm, around people that I love and care
1: about. <laughs> exactly. And so. and I think we have a lot of advantages. You know, we have a lot of tools that maybe our aunts and uncles don't have or that somebody in our family sure. doesn't have. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you talk about being a storyteller, and you, you claim that as a seventh thing, and it sure is, and you're a good one. And I, too, am a storyteller. So I, when I while I was reading the book, I thought, okay, what's the difference in how Annie tells stories and how I tell stories. And I think the difference is the focus. Okay. And I'm always focused outward. And I think you're often focused outward and upward.
2: Okay. You know what I thought you were going to say is I'm focused outward and you're focused inward. No, 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 no. You're, like, you're right, this
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're focused outward, but I think... I think then you have, you're looking at the big mm-hmm. picture. So when you talk about cathedrals, you talk about one, and then you talk about four more. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about a few more. And then you talk about how big they are. Mm-hmm. And when I talk about cathedrals, I have two stories that I tell about cathedrals. And both of them are about the people I met at the cathedral.
2: Oh, wow. I couldn't tell you a single person at a cathedral I've been to. Well,
1: mine is all about that. That's so interesting. So you say, I see God first in stories, particularly in the story I live every day. Mm-hmm. And I see the other first in stories, yeah. particularly the stories I live every day. Yeah. And then I invite God in. Uh, okay. So that's a, another difference in what we're focused on, yeah. right? Yep. And so... It helped me understand why your question was, is God always kind? And at your age, my question was, is God always faithful? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm married to this really great guy who I'm still crazy in love with after 31 years of marriage and 35 years of working together. And he says this, God can't be anything other than faithful. Right. So I want to know if you think God can be anything other than kind?
2: Well, you know, I, I, that is literally what I had to wrestle down is, is he actually who the scripture says he is? Um, because my experiences weren't matching, you know? And, and the end, I mean, the end of the story is, yes, I do think he's always kind. I think that it, I think, I think he can't be anything other than who his true character is. And, and so he can't, he can't, um, he can't disappoint me. My expectations are what disappoint me. He doesn't let me down. My expectations of what I thought he was going to do let me down. And sometimes those feel so close to each other that they, they feel like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that, I think that's okay. I think that's okay that sometimes I, if I'm trying to separate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and one mm-hmm. side is God is disappointing and one side is my expectations of God are disappointing, there's going to be a little peanut butter on the jelly and a little jelly on the peanut butter. And, sure. and I don't know how to get around that. But in the end, and honestly, when I switched my glasses, which this isn't a very seven way to think. I, I In fact, I found myself multiple times when I was writing going like, this actually doesn't feel very seven. To, that I went through a season where disappointment was the glasses I looked through every to every situation through. And I wasn't reframing positively at all. In um, the bigger scope in everyday little things, you know, oh, I dropped the mail. Well, that's okay. Cause it helped me open the envelope easier. You know, yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff was still, but the the heart stuff was disappointment first. And once I switched to, okay, if, if God is kind, then what does that mean about this situation?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, and so often, Suzanne, I go, oh, it means he's protecting me. Yeah. Oh, it means that he knows something I don't know. And so this is how it had to go. Oh, it means that that we live in a really terrible fallen world, and people are hurting, and He's still showing up somehow. You know, I, it, I, it's a, it's a holy reframing to some degree of a bigger thing versus that anybody can do. Any number can go like, it, whatever the terrible situation you are in or whatever you're disappointed in. If you say this in it, if God is kind, then what does that mean about this? Right. It, it's changed. It's changed my experience of God and changed my life
1: don't you think we're set up to have expectations around God and how God's going to yeah. treat us? Yeah. It's just a so setup,
2: right? Thing. It's a setup, actually. <laughs> I don't know that we, I'm scared to talk about this because I don't want to get struck by lightning or bring, you know, Pied Piper here doesn't want to lead people down a path. I mean, there, you can't know how many conversations I don't have publicly because of my Pied Piperness. But then yeah. I'm like, I don't want to ask that publicly because, what if people go down that path and I, and at some point I turn left because I've realized the truth and they keep going right and I've led right. them into the ocean. That's my fear. Right. But I will engage this with you because you're the wiser woman here and you will keep us on track. Well,
1: how um, about that?
2: That is the thing that I am literally conversating, conversating with the Lord yes. about right now is you keep whispering things to me that tell me to live with expectation, but then I keep getting disappointed. And that's on me because I keep coming back for more, but you keep inviting me back for more. And and that is a, it's a hard, because I think there is scripture that backs up that we should expect things from God. I mean, Ephesians 3.20, he'll do more than we ask or imagine. And so do I, if I believe that scripture is true, how do you not live with expectation and hope and yet, I can decide what that Ephesians 3.20 should look like, and when it doesn't, I'm disappointed. But then I, I also can't be the person who doesn't live with expectations because that is boring.
1: Well, I, I just think we're put together to have expectations. I think we all have them. What do we do with them? Well, here's what I'm kind of trying to do. I, I'm, a, I'm not a fan at all of the language, if it's your will. Like, that makes me tired. Okay. I, I don't. I don't think anybody means that,
2: <laughs> right? If you actually mean that, then why are you even praying? Right, like just right. sit back and okay. let it happen. If you, if all you want is for God to do whatever He wants to do, you don't have to pray.
1: So here are the two things that I would a- add to your uh, list of things that you are working on. And one is that Richard Rohr says, "If you can define it, it's not God." Okay. You so that kind of messes with stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Richard likes to do that though, doesn't he? Yes, he he does. Wants to mess with
1: us. And um, one of my things is, when I get in it and I kind of can't breathe, then I say, "Okay, God, where are you? And what are you trying to teach me?" Hmm. And "Where are you?" is a completely different response than "Why'd you leave me? Why didn't you follow through?" Right. right, And what are you trying to teach me kind of opens up opportunities. Then there's an array of things I could be learning instead of a disappointment that I'm nursing, right?
2: Yes, 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 yes. That's a, the that's a way better question that I'm going to write down. I mean, I literally, I, I'm looking across the room because I have this scripture from the story of Hannah in the um, message version where in, in the NIV it says God remembered her. Yeah. And she became pregnant. And in yeah. the message version, it says, "And God began making the necessary r- arrangements in response to what she had asked." Yeah. And so I have that written up, not in like an proclaiming this. It it is literally a oh hey God, if this scripture is true, I'm going to read it every time I'm standing in my kitchen. I'm I'm that's interesting to me. Yeah. That that scripture is true, you know. And so, but I, that's what I'm wrestling with: is how do I have, live with expectations? And be an Annie, be a 7, and be excited about life and expecting this could go really well and not cycle so hard. I cycle so hard into disappointment when I get disappointed.
1: So do you know that as children, uh, you can't tell 4s and 7s apart? No, really? Yeah, they look exactly alike. Oh, my gosh, because
2: we both feel so many things.
1: And you always want more.
2: Yeah.
1: And you don't ever want to go home. Yep. And things are always slightly disappointing. Yeah. And not quite what you anticipated. Yeah.
2: And do fours have as hard a hardest time communicating who they are as kids, as seven two. They
1: have the hardest time.
2: Okay. Because that's something I look back and go, I think one of the biggest problems for me is I didn't know how to tell anybody what was going on in here.
1: Yeah. You know, what Joel didn't know how to tell us was uh, the the whole piece of him that tried to show up and be respectful when he didn't have any energy to give. Because mm-hmm. we always, we call Joel a powder. Yeah. We always used to say, whenever you don't get your way, you just pout. You're just a big powder. And, and he would say, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm most of the stuff y'all say I am, but I don't think I'm that. Yeah. And I think the, the thing I finally arrived at in regard to his behavior at those times is that y- y- y'all are dutiful, like you are duty bound. So if it's the okay. right and good thing for you to show up for something, then you show up. Mm-hmm. But we're accustomed to you wanting to be there. Yes. So oh, when you show up with a, Yeah. Well, when you show up without your energy, we negate the fact that you've shown up.
2: Yes. Because yes. we want
1: all that energy.
2: That is my whole life, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> that, oh, it doesn't matter. I apologize. That no, is my no. whole life. That if I don't show up with energy, I might as well have not been
1: there. Yeah, because they all have expectations for you. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And and so I think what we do to sevens who are um, adults, who are starting to really try to work on themselves regardless of age, we say to them, what's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. What happened to you? used to be so much fun. Why are you so heavy? Well, um, it's just because I'm more, the answer is, that you're more in your essence and less in your personality. Yes. And so the truth is, um, I spend my life teaching people about who they're not, which is their personality. And who they really are is underneath all that. But pe- people don't really want to know us for that. You know, people don't want me to say, no, I don't think that's mine to do. I don't think I need to bring that. I don't think I can talk to your group. Like, no, nobody ever says, well, good for you, girl. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Proud of you for having some boundaries. Yeah, no. No, 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 no.
2: if they do, they don't actually mean it. I mean, people say, great job. That's a really great boundary. I'm glad you've drawn that. And what they're actually saying is, I'm offended that you drew a boundary right right.
1: me. Especially people who don't have have boundaries. You should have drawn it
2: behind me instead of in front of me. So I'm just going to call out to you that I'm noticing you put a boundary. I'm going to tell you I'm proud of you, but what I'm actually saying is you put a boundary in a place that didn't do anything for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear what they're not saying when they say nice job on that boundary.
1: People so. were in line somewhere in the last six months waiting for me to sign their books. And, uh, you know, I'm a chatter and I mm-hmm. write a little note and all that stuff. And I get to, it's my book and I get to, Yeah. but there, I heard, I heard a woman, oh, you know, four or five back in the line say, She's going to have to learn not to visit with everybody who wants their book signed.
2: (laughs) You're like, someone, Joel, remove her from the (laughs) line.
1: Well, I don't want to do that. Like, I I want to get to a place, and I think your number and my number have a difficult time with honest responses that are not mean-spirited or anything, just honest, because it changes the mood. Yes.
2: And and it's so... So if we're talking about it on a, in a professional setting right, right. like that, where I'm signing books or when I'm, I mean, it is, it's a conversation we're having right now with my team of like, Annie will speak on a stage for 35 minutes and then I'll have a two and a half hour signing line and I am, I am exhausted, but, the, but I want to talk to everyone. Me too. And, and so how do we balance making sure that it's not even like for the people it's for me. I mean, if they want to wait in line, I want to see them too. But we can't do two and a half hours because the church has got turned off all the lights right. and they're ready to go home and but there's eight people left. And so it yeah, we're we are balancing that because it, it is hard per- personally for my for my for, for my Anniness, for my type to but and and almost always I can I can turn into full Annie, like Annie F Downs. Like I can be stage Annie yeah. as long as they need me to be stage Annie. Yeah. yeah and, and she's very similar to real Annie. Just real Annie takes more naps and probably doesn't laugh quite as much as, you know. I, yeah. But I also get, I mean, we call it, I think I'm allowed to say, we call it when I get people drunk. Yep. Because when I get people drunk, my assistant can't get me to quit. Me and either. no one can make me leave the line. And, I, and everything I'm feeling is genuine and it feels like I'm drunk. <laughs> I feel as silly and as fun and as loud and as, as um, carefree. As when I've drank too much, and and then it goes away, and I feel like I have a hangover the next day because I said things I wish I wouldn't have said because I was so excited to be around so many people, and it is it, it is the same experience of drinking too much.
1: So here's the here's the thing I I w- I will challenge us with. You know, there's a parable for every number, mm-hmm. and when you I hear, your, yeah, if you if you just read through the Gospels, you'll be able to just mark them. Once you think about it, you'll go, oh, oh. So um, here's here's the two parable that gets me the most. Uh, You know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and Lazarus is Jesus' friend, and Jesus is coming to dinner. Mm -hmm. And Martha is in the kitchen cooking, cooking, cooking. And, you know, now I'm no theologian, so I get to tell this the way I kind of want to. So I, I think it's hot. And Martha's already kind of cleaned up the house and everything. And she's in the kitchen, and she's cooking, cooking, cooking. And Mary and Jesus are sitting in the front room just kind of having a chat. And she gets her feelings hurt, which any two would do. So she goes in, and she says, uh, you know, I'm in there doing all these things, trying to take care of you and trying to serve you. Are are you just going to let her sit here and talk to you and not help me? And Jesus says, well, she's chosen the better part. And... Um, I learned from that after hearing it two or three cycles that when we think we're serving God, that doesn't always mean we're serving God. And I'm really clear that when I've run out of energy, when I think I'm serving God, it doesn't always mean. I mean, when I think I'm serving God and God's people, it doesn't always mean that I am. Sometimes I'm just serving me to write my name in every book and talk to everybody who wants to talk and take pictures and all that. And I think we have to find a way through that. And I think one of the ways that we can begin to look at that is with this that you said. So in your book you say, if I got exactly what I wanted tomorrow, how would I live today? Mm -hmm. And so one of my new questions for myself is going to be, if I knew that I was going to have exactly what I want tomorrow, how would I handle this speaking engagement? How would I handle signing books? How would I handle Q and A? Because I think only then am I going to know if I'm being present to the people there, or if my personality is being present to the people who are there.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's it. Because my personality can run my job if I'm C- not careful.
1: Mine too. Yeah. Mine too. And I think one thing you could help people with in terms of your personality. Is can you talk for a minute to everybody about how your personality can run your life, not just yeah. your job? Like, yeah. do you know the difference of when you're in charge of it and it's in charge of you?
2: I do. I do more professionally than I do personally. Mm-hmm. I think. I think the healthier I've gotten, the more my uh, I am really living in my essence in my personal life almost all the time. I hope. I'm trying. Um, I don't know how to do that as well professionally because of expectations that I feel outwardly, uh, professionally. Um, but so to live to live in my personality is, uh, so to me, the difference is what do I want to do versus what do I think they want me to do? There you go. And how do or, I... Or
1: my question is, what is mine to do? Yes, what is mine to do?
2: Yeah, that's right. All
1: right. keep going.
2: Yeah, because a two will, a two, yeah, that makes yeah. sense for a two. Yeah. For a seven, it's... Um, Yeah. So so for me, it it feels the question, if I know I'm living with my personality leading, it is um, what are they expecting of me and what will it take for me to be her? And then when I start hearing that kind of stuff in my head, I go, oh, you're either too tired or you're in the wrong place or you're doing the wrong thing. You know, like I can hear when those start being the like, oh, they're expecting me to then I need to. Person going like no here's a line that they teach you at on site the counseling center is um, I don't have that to give or I do have that to give yeah and and I say that a lot now in situations where I go oh I would love to do that but I don't have it to give I just don't I don't have that and,
1: and that's so, that so great helpful. instead of that whole thing we've always said about. Uh, oh, I'd love to, but I can't. Or yeah. I wish I could, but I have to go. That that leaves me feeling terrible.
2: Yeah, I try not to say anything made me do anything. Like I try not to say, "Well, that made." She made me get on. You know, get on a bus that I didn't want to get on. I try not to say "made me," and I try not to say um, uh, "I can't" because I'm like, I actually can. not There's not a lot I can't do. It's right. that I'm not going to. Right. And so. I so I won't either I won't or I usually yeah usually it's I won't or I'm not going to because can't is such a and for a seven can't is a really help a really easy unhealthy word that yeah. we can like throw around oh my gosh I would love to oh I would love to I just can't oh, oh. I'm so sorry I can't because then we don't put anybody in pain you're no not in pain and no. they're not in pain and we just can't but now I'm like I'm I'm unable to do that. And then I have to wrestle with that. That's the actual truth. And that puts pain on me. And I'm inflicting disappointment. A pastor the other week said to me, which I I think every number would struggle with this, but this is for, for a nanny, for a seven, this feels really hard, where he said, Jesus literally disappointed everyone except the Father. His followers, his enemies, his family, there was nobody he didn't disappoint when he was trying to do what God asked him to do. Yeah. And I was like, oh, but you don't
1: understand how sevens don't do that. Yeah, twos don't do it either. I'm going to make sure Joe Stabile doesn't get to hear that part of this podcast. (laughs) I don't want to hear that at home. All right. um, We don't have much longer, and I want to get to three more things. So here's the next thing. Uh, There's a point where you say um, the man I'd been dating called it quits, and then I had to let an employee go, and then my godfather died. And then your manager quit. That's a Uh, lot for a seven.
2: That was in weeks. I mean, (laughs) it was unbelievable. Um, So So, I'll put that in timeline context for you as far as my health journey as well. uh By then, I'd been in counseling weekly or biweekly for about three and a half years. Yeah. So I had tools in my tool belt that I didn't have about two years before that. Two and a half years before that, we had a really um, explosive nuclear family fall apart thing happen, and I did not have any tools for that, and and because I just started counseling and I was deep in my pain and shame and running. So so as I was experiencing the loss that you just talked about and remember God, in my mind I was going, oh look how different this feels than last time when you wanted to run from everything. Oh look you. You can feel this pain and you can say out loud this hurts, and you can, but I was also reframing going, this has purpose. There's no way this is an accident. This is, there is something about this. So I'm, I'm eyes wide open. You know me today. I mean, it was like, where's my husband? He must be coming <laughs> this week because now my calendar is clear. I don't have anybody working with me. I don't have anybody dating me. I don't have anybody living with me. I don't even have my family all still alive. So clearly here comes a husband and a year later, I'm not married, right? Yeah. And so it was, um, but that, so there was that part of me that, but also I've been on this, um, carousel enough times to go like, don't immediately jump to that. Your greatest dream is about to come true or the thing you want is about to happen. But I I reframed it pretty, pretty hard, pretty quick. Uh, But I also was feeling it and I was walking it with my counselor and with the people that were closest to me and, and I had language for it that I wouldn't have had. Four years prior and before Enneagram. I mean, I didn't know Enneagram in 2013 when things went really badly for our family. By 2017, I at least knew enough and had learned enough to go like, oh, this is pushing some of my particular, all these people. I mean, my pastor, my manager, my roommate, the dude. I mean, all these people who are caretakers in my life walked out at the same time. And for a seven I mean, as we talked about that, that is the question that put me in unhealthy dating relationships in college. It has it has been too much for friendships at times when I'm unhealthy. That is the thing that chases me is who's going to take care of me. And so to lose all caretakers in one fall was severe for me. But it was so severe that it had to be on purpose. It couldn't have been an accident. So that's what I knew. But you're smiling because, you know, you're like, Annie, you're still reframing this. I know.
1: <laughs> here's what I think. I think you are refreshing in your ability to tell yourself and other people the truth. Oh, thank you. And so uh, here's kind of where I am. I, I think authenticity is the best thing we've got to offer. Mm-hmm. I think speakers who lead with the reality of their lives and with their weakness instead of their strength, connect much more fully with listeners. Mm-hmm. I start sometime in the first hour, hour and a half of teaching a day long workshop. I generally say everybody needs a spiritual director. Everybody needs a therapist. Yeah. I'm and feeling
2: I, that, that space in my life that I would like a spiritual director.
1: Yeah. So um, here's the thing I want us to close with this time. You say at one point that essentially God said to you, when your life changes, you and I change too. Yeah. And you know, I've said for years and years that sevens love beginnings. But then in the middle of things, they get a little antsy. Yeah. And then endings are devastating is my word.
2: Yes, you're right.
1: And when I am mindful of your journey, as I know it, which is certainly not completely at all, and I'm aware that you're trying to figure out this whole thing about change. You know, for somebody, for sevens, who want variety all the time, I think they misname variety change.
2: Yeah. So, so will you will you keep explaining that? Because that rings yeah. true for me, but I don't know how to say it back to you.
1: Well, I don't actually think you want change all the time. I think right. you just want the next thing. Right. Right. But I that's not change. Lose
2: that I have, that's I just right. want more things.
1: That's right. That's yeah. right. I, I want to be able to come back here next Tuesday if I want to. I want to <laughs> yeah. be able.
2: I, right I, yeah that's I, exactly
1: right exactly and so i okay. think and
2: we don't but, like change because change often means we've lost something that we right. didn't want to lose
1: that's right came yeah. with an ending and you're not interested in it so.
2: that's right that's right. right my family i can't tell you how many times my mom and dad have said if there's one person that hates change it's annie and i always thought i know i'm trying i'm trying to be flexible i'm trying to like change but i just can't get around it right but that right. Isn't, but you're giving me great language to say it's not that I can't handle change. It's that I don't want to let go of anything that matters to me.
1: Right. Right. It seems unreasonable to Sevens. Since you live in your head, then when you try to reason, why, well, why should I let go of that? Why can't I keep that and do this? Yes.
2: Yes. I, you're saying it like like this is what Sevens think, and I'm actually like, no, it's not what everyone thinks. Why no. did I have to give up this thing in order to have that thing? I mean, I'm not talking about, like, sexual relationships or anything no. insane like that, but, like, normal thing, like, I shouldn't have to give up the thing that's good for another thing. When people talk about that, giving up the good for the great, I'm always like, oh, can't we just have Yeah. Why do you have to give up one? Why
1: would we do that? Right. So um, I've never learned a valuable lesson that it didn't involve pain.
2: Yeah. That's, yes.
1: And you've um, experienced a good bit of it. And you've learned lots of valuable lessons. And I think I want to uh, say to you as we close the podcast that I think your ability to speak from that place is one of your best gifts. And so I think it's unlikely that any of us are ever going to not have some pain to speak from. You know, I don't think you're looking for happiness. I think sevens are always looking for joy, mm-hmm. joy and satisfaction. Yeah. And so yeah, we just we just want that one last puzzle piece. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's- satisfaction is when there's enough. And I think joy comes to you. You can't go get it.
2: Mm. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm I'm beyond grateful for your, your work means so much to me so thank you such, a, such an honor that you read my book and pray for me that just means so much
1: well I'm going to I've already read the book and I'm going to pray for you blessings upon blessings thank you for me and for all the readers for your honesty and your authenticity and your story it makes a difference see you soon